second down and 20 after the penalty at the Michigan State 23 out of the shotgun Christensen again only four completions all day looking for number five and he's got it Cheney inside the five Cheney to the goal line and it's an Iowa touchdown Iowa tremendous momentum right now they're going to get the football back in this second overtime to have an opportunity first 173 for Young looking for more cut it back and Young the one yard line but he got the first down first down and goal from the one and Pew is going to walk in touchdown Iowa and that's the first career TD for Javon Pugh and the freshman from Naples Florida trots into the end zone and makes this football game a little bit more interesting play clock at three Michigan State does have a timeout they get the playoff Hoyer going to get sacked back at the 17-yard line. Adrian Claiborne makes the play. So fourth down and 13. They've got to get to the three-yard line, or this game is over, and Iowa will win it. This is it. Fourth down and 13. Hoyer with time. His pass is going to be caught well short of the marker. That's about seven yards shy of the first down marker, and Iowa's going to win it in double overtime. And the fans storm the field here at Kinnick Stadium for their second big win at home in the last three weeks. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett. Welcome to the weekly football show from HawkeyesMike.com. The game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with Dave Pesh and Andre Ware. In what has to be the most exciting game of the year for the Hawkeyes, Iowa came from behind and played an inspired second half to defeat the Michigan State Spartans in double overtime at Kinnick Stadium on Saturday. The Hawks offense struggled again in the first half while the Spartans piled up 17 points and very impressive stats. It looked like Iowa was in for yet another repeat of the pattern of too little offense and too much time on the field for the defense. But the Hawks turned the game around after the intermission, playing its most impressive quarter of offensive football in a long time. First pulling into a 17-17 tie with the Spartans and then forging a three-point lead early in the fourth quarter. That held up until four seconds to go in regulation when Michigan State kicked a field goal to tie the game and send it into the first overtime. The two teams traded touchdowns in the first overtime with Michigan State scoring first. The Hawks then scored quickly in the second OT. The Iowa defense followed that score by stepping up once again this season and stuffing the Spartans on a fourth down pass play. Iowa fans poured onto the field and celebrated the thrilling victory with their favorite team. Many longtime observers of Iowa football thought the first half was probably one of the worst displays in recent history, at least offensively. It was certainly one of the worst halves of football I've watched in nearly 40 years. On the other hand, the turnaround in the third quarter is probably the biggest I've ever seen. It's like the two teams switched uniforms at the half. Albert Young was unleashed with a vengeance, and the Hawks finally got their first rushing touchdowns of the 2007 Big Ten season. It was almost like Albert Young willed Iowa to victory, and he may have had games with bigger numbers, but I thought under the circumstances, this was his most impressive game as a Hawk. It was shocking that Michigan State didn't have a much bigger lead at the the end of the first half because with their overwhelming statistical advantage and complete domination on the field, it sure seemed like it as we were watching the game. The Spartans virtually ran an offensive clinic in the first half. They were efficient, diversified, effective, crisp. They demonstrated a very powerful running game and mixed in passes when they had to. Unlike Ken O'Keefe's baffling offensive game plan against Purdue the week before, which emphasized the pass, the Hawks came out running early and often in this game and they stuck with it. And early in the third quarter, it really began paying off. That's a good thing because we had no passing game whatsoever essentially until 
the two overtimes. In fact, Jake Christensen had another bad performance as quarterback, once again making the same fundamental mistakes, missing receivers badly, throwing the ball way too hard, unnecessarily panicking in the pocket. Christensen completed only three passes in regulation, but then went two for five in overtime. Iowa's going to have to get substantially improved performance from the quarterback position. Without it, the next time a defense is able to shut down the Iowa running game, we will be in big trouble. Christensen getting away from pressure and nearly intercepted by Travis Key. Actually, the tight end Brandon Myers broke up the pass. Otherwise, it would have been a pick. Boy, I'm telling you, this is just a sign of inexperience on the part of Jay Christensen. You're going to see nine guys in the box right here. The tight end's going to pop wide open. Nobody there. Give him the football. Right now, he's wide open. You wait too late. You throw it up. Now, all of a sudden, there's bodies around. He had him wide open initially. If you just set your feet looking down the field with your eyes, that one's going to come right into your vision, and you're able to deliver a catchable football. He's had some bad throws, but hasn't exactly had all the time in the world, with the exception of that last throw. He had Brandon Myers wide open on a, a blitz that Michigan State was bringing on him, and he could have gotten himself a nice big freebie in the passing game there. But you look at him, the, I guess the only knock I have on Jay Christensen is he tries to throw everything hard. Every time he rears back, he's trying to drill it through a receiver's chest. To demonstrate how bad the Iowa offense was in the first half, let's look at three snapshots during that game. At the 5-10 mark in the first quarter, Michigan State led 7-0. MSU had 9 minutes and 10 seconds of possession time to Iowa's 50 seconds. The Spartans had 144 yards to Iowa's 3. Iowa had run only three offensive plays in the first nine minutes of the game. At the end of the first quarter, the Spartans had run 16 passing plays and 10 running plays for 173 yards. Iowa had only six plays and one yard of net offense, and MSU had total domination and possession time. At the half, the score was 14-3, and it felt much worse than that. The Spartans had run 41 offensive plays to Iowa's 20. The Hawks had only 71 yards, while Michigan State had racked up 252. Iowa only had nine yards passing, and MSU had 21 minutes of possession time to only nine for the Hawks. Also at that point in the game, and in the Big Ten season, Iowa had no rushing touchdowns and only six TDs total. Switching to the defensive side of the ball, once again Norm Parker's defense demonstrated that it appears to match up better against the smash mouth style of offense run by Michigan State. Even more importantly, Parker maintained a constant stream of fresh defensive players, especially in the line, at defensive ends, and in the linebacking core, which kept the Iowa defense fresh throughout the entire game and in both overtimes as well. And it often appeared the defense was even more aggressive when the replacements, many of them true freshmen were on the field. Last week we wondered how long this young Iowa team could maintain a positive attitude and especially after the first half you really wondered if the season was essentially over for the Hawks. But the incredible turnaround at halftime led to perhaps the best quarter of Iowa offensive football in the last two or three years which in turn fired up the defense and led to Iowa's domination pretty much throughout the rest of the game. And give the offense credit they did come through when they had to in both overtimes coming from behind in the first OT with a passing touchdown after putting themselves in a hole, then getting the first score on the board in the second overtime and putting all the pressure on Michigan State. The special teams played a critical role in this game, especially all three kickers, but for Ryan Donahue's punting in the first half, the score could have been much worse, and Donahue continued his excellent play in the second half, ultimately earning honors as Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week.
There was also a very curious call by Kirk Ferentz late in the fourth quarter. Iowa had the ball on the Michigan State 25-yard line, fourth and inches. Iowa could have iced the game right there by going for it, eating up more clock, and ultimately getting another score, perhaps. Instead, without hesitation, Ferentz attempted a field goal, which was missed. I thought that was especially odd. Obviously, Iowa's not playing for the Big Ten title this year. We had the momentum in the game. The defense was playing really well. The offense had been moving the ball. I just didn't get it at the time, and I still don't. Apparently, Ferentz didn't have enough faith in the ability of the offense to gain that 18 inches in the first down at that point in the game. Let's very much enjoy this exciting win against Michigan State. It was certainly one of the most exciting games at Kinnick Stadium in several years. You can dial down the respirator for at least another week. And let's hope the third quarter really was a turning point for this Iowa team and that we won't have any more letdowns for the rest of the season. But let's not let the euphoria overshadow some of the continuing and real problems with this team right now that were demonstrated once again at critical points during the MSU game. Only one completion for Jake Christensen. Neither team has had great starting field position, but Michigan State's been able to move the ball at will. Young breaking free into the secondary, and Young's going to score! Touchdown, Iowa! Fabulous run on the part of Albert Young. Tremendous blocking by Dan Doring, the right guard, and Seth Olsen, their best offensive pl player on that offensive line, the junior, the elder statesman. Young saw it, hit it, and he was long gone before anybody on the defense of Michigan State was able to show up. Albert Young back into the game, and more running room as he gets a great block from his wide receiver, Cleveland, and finally Young is brought down inside the five by Davis Clark. Now they're running all over Michigan State after they couldn't even move the ball in the first half. This is the best that they have run the football all season long. Young again, and it's a touchdown for Iowa. And the Hawkeyes within a point of tying the game. Well, you give some momentum to a young, hungry football team, and that's the result. They find a way to get it done, and you got some tremendous coaches. Unbelievably, we are tied at 17 after Iowa could do nothing in the first half. Albert Young going off in the second half. He's over 100 yards rushing, and Iowa's got two rushing scores in the third quarter. A quick review of game notes and key stats. Iowa won the coin toss and deferred the second time this year that's happened. This was Iowa's fifth overtime game and the first one against Michigan State. The win improves Iowa's all-time overtime mark to four wins and one loss. This was also only the second overtime contest in Kinnick Stadium. Running back Albert Young had a terrific day. He finished the game with 179 yards on 34 attempts and two touchdowns, the second highest rushing total of his career, and that game moved the senior past Fred Russell into fourth place in Iowa career rushing. This was also Young's first multiple rushing touchdown game since scoring twice at Northwestern in 2005. Iowa maintained its perfect record in terms of not scoring on its opening drive in any of its nine games this season. Michigan State also failed to score on its first possession. Punter Ryan Donahue booted a career-long 82-yard punt in the fourth quarter. It's the second-longest punt in Hawkeye history. Donahue ended up the day punting eight times for 413 yards, an average of 51.6 yards. He had four punts over 50 yards. Wide receiver Paul Chaney Jr. cut his first career touchdown pass, this one in the first overtime, 
time to tie the game at 27-all. Running back Javon Pugh also scored his first career touchdown as a Hawk, rushing for one yard in the second overtime. Linebacker Mike Humple had 10 of his game-high 18 tackles in the first half. He also had a pass breakup. The 18 tackles equals a career high for Humple. Iowa had 14 third-quarter points. That's the most it scored in the third quarter this entire season. And DB Bradley Fletcher, subbing for Adam Shada, who was injured, collected a career-high 13 tackles and also forced his second career fumble. Defensive back Charles Godfrey matched his career high with 12 tackles, including 9 solo tackles. Some of the key statistics, the Spartans had 23 first downs to Iowa's 13. Net yards rushing, the Hawks dominated there, 230 to 160. Net yards passing, Michigan State overwhelming there, 308 to Iowa's pretty miserable 53. Iowa was 5 for 15, all with Jake Christensen at quarterback. Michigan State was 25 for 44. There were no interceptions thrown by either team. Total offensive yards in this game, 468 for the Spartans, 283 for the Hawks. Possession time also dominated by Michigan State, particularly in the first half. Third down conversions, 8 for 21 for Michigan State, only 2 of 13 for the Hawks. Red zone scoring chances, 3 of 4 for the Spartans, 2 of 2 for the Hawkeyes. Iowa also only surrendered one sack in this game, while the Hawks defense sacked Michigan State four times. Great story, compelling and rich. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by the Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodge.ui.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. These football programs come to you weekly on HawkeyesMike.com during the entire season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. And we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your opinions each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Next up, we hear from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald. First, Coach Ferentz talks about the big win at Michigan State and facing Northwestern and Evanston this Saturday. Certainly Saturday is a, you know, very good win for us. Uh, any win right now is uh, you know, significant and important for us. And I think the way the guys uh, fought and rallied, you know, it certainly was uh, great to see that. So you know, we're, we're extremely uh, excited to get the win. And uh, now we move on to Northwestern, uh, another challenge. You know, we go on the road up to Chicago. That's a team that's beaten us uh, the last two times we've played them. And uh, they're a very, very veteran ball club like a lot of teams we've played uh, this year. I think they... Uh, you know, they got eight or nine starters back uh, on each side of the ball. At least guys have started uh, against us. Uh, they're very well coached, play extremely hard, and uh, you know, it's just a, they're they're a good football team. You know, and they've got some momentum going right now too. They've won three out of their last four ball games, and uh, that fifth game, I believe, was the Michigan game where you know they had the lead uh, well into the fourth quarter, and we're playing extremely well there too. So they're playing with confidence. Uh, they've got veteran players, and you know, it'll be a tough challenge for us. And we'll uh, see what we can do. See what we can pull together this week, and you know, get ready for Saturday. Iowa has shown a lot of ups and downs in games this year. Are those ups and downs apparent in practice, too? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, and, you know, I think that's why we see them on Saturdays, too. And, and probably the only good news last Saturday was it was only half of it instead of the full 60. You know, we, we have not practiced, you know, day in and day out the way you need to. And uh, I think, you know, we just have a lot of moving parts right now. A little, a little younger than you like to be and... 
Sometimes that comes with the territory. You don't like it. You don't want to accept it, and we don't. But I think it comes with the territory, and that that's one of the big challenges we're facing right now. Just trying to, to mount more consistency, and you know, it really shows up offensively. You know, as bad as it appeared, and it was pretty bad that first half. Uh, you know, you go back and look at four or five plays that just you know really change the complexion of things, and uh, either makeable plays or whatever series it was. We were first and fifteen right off the bat. Remember that one series where we had a false start. You know, so it just. It's kind of been a pattern there, and uh, we're, we're not a good first and 15 team. You know, we're not a great first and 10 team right now. So, yeah, it's just those kinds of things really, they affect the team, you know, offensively, and that's, that's where we're at. Ferentz talks about the challenges Northwestern presents to the Hawks. Uh, you know, I think uh, for us, it's as simple as this. You know, the last two years, they've been prepared to play, and then they've played the full 60, and we haven't. You know, I think we were prepared uh, certainly in, in uh, 2005. You know, it was a good football game. But we, we didn't finish, and they did. You know, I know a lot of the focus in that game is on uh, the defense and then the, you know, the onside kick. I thought we lost that game personally. And earlier in the fourth quarter, we had a series of plays were less than spectacular, three plays, and I can give them to you. The sequence, I won't bore you right now. But, and then we missed a field goal afterwards. But if we had executed on that series, we probably would have scored a touchdown or at least had the ball inside the 10. like to think you hit a field goal there, and that, that would have been the game. So I, I thought you know, that started the... To me, that really started our erosion in that ball game. And then last year, you know, you had a team that showed up and you had another team that didn't. You know, we were lucky to be 21-7 in that one because that, that score was not indicative of the beating that they gave us. Kirk was asked whether the formula used to beat Michigan State, focusing on running, especially by Albert Young, would be the formula Iowa tries to employ the rest of the season. It'll help, you know, if we can do that. But, but all that being said, you know, I'm not naive enough to think, you know, we're, we're going to have to complete some passes. I mean, we just have to do it. We've got to be able to be more productive in the passing game. You know, otherwise, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little tougher to run that football. So, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to make strides there. We've got to try to, you know, hold serve with the run game. But we, we've got to continue to get the passing game going here, or at least, you know, work on that. When we execute, we're not a bad football team. But the, the problem, again, is consistency. Turning to head coach Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, he talks about Jake Christensen. Well, you know, it goes back when I was uh, the recruiting coach down there. Uh, I know a lot of uh, about Jake and his family, and I've gotten to know them extremely well as being our lead recruiter on them. And uh, I've just watched him continue to progress. You know, he got his opportunity initially last year, and we thought he might play against us a year ago uh, when Drew was battling that thumb injury. So. Uh, I've watched him grow and continue to play within the framework of what I asked him to do. He's an athletic young man, extremely competitive. You know, obviously with his dad's background being a quarterback, he's got a, a tremendous pedigree. And, uh, he just he plays extremely hard, and you could tell that he's a very competitive guy. Well, I think it's a challenge, uh, no matter how old you are, to be a quarterback at the Big Ten level. You've got the high expectations. You know, the quarterback position brings with a set of expectations that's maybe unlike any other position in the game of football and you know a lot of these young men are, are, are groomed and prepared for that at an early age they typically become a quarterback maybe in middle school or, or grade school and they continue up through that in high school and obviously Jake played at a high level there at Lockport two state championships if I recall correctly so he's been in big games he's prepared for it and you know he's a lot like CJ on our end where he was just continue to get better with the more experience that they gain. Fitzgerald commented on the Iowa turnaround in the second half against the Spartans. Well, I just watched them play their best football game of the year, I believe, from what I've seen at this point on tape. Now, I haven't been through every game. I'm pretty close to it, but uh, they played hard. They stayed together. They got, uh, got down a little bit early on the scoreboard, but they just kept on fighting. And 
got to the fourth quarter at home and gave themselves an opportunity, had a lead there, and you, you had to tip your hat to Michigan State, came back and, and got it to overtime. And, uh, you know, Iowa just had a big defensive stand and uh, tackled well. And uh, I'm not surprised. Kirk and his staff have done as well of a job as anybody in this league. Fundamentally, technically, the sound of a team as you're going to play, very physical and, uh, you know, great pride and tradition in the Hawkeye program. Coach Fitzgerald was asked about Iowa's running game. When you play Iowa, it starts with the run, you know, and uh, they run that zone scheme as well as the Broncos do. You know, they, they, they do what they do, and they operate at an extremely high level. And You know what I like about when I watch Albert Young, and he, he's an extremely passionate football player. Yeah, he, he has a great run. He gets up. He's excited. And you can see that he's really the, the bell cow of that football program. Following our first caller, you'll hear from former Hawkeye All-American and All-Pro tight end Marv Cook. Hi, this is Mark from West Des Moines. Boy, what a difference a half makes. At the halftime of the Michigan State game, you probably could have stuck a fork in the Hawks because they, they looked like they were done. It was one of the worst halves of football that I've ever seen Iowa play. They were totally dominated by Michigan State. They were lucky to only be behind by a couple of touchdowns. But then something clicked at halftime, and they come out, and it's a completely different team. It looks like a team that could contend with a lot of the teams that they have to play yet. And so I'm optimistic now. Um, People are starting to talk about bowl games. Uh, when at halftime of that game, the Hawks were just dead and buried. Hopefully this means that they've turned it around and that they can go into Northwestern, which has always been tough for the Hawks, and pull out a, a victory that would get them on the road to a seven-win season. And seven and a 7-5 seven and five record at this point, you know, after all the controversy and the unrest uh, of this season, looks pretty darn good. You know, a date in the Champs Bowl in uh, Orlando would really be a nice end to the season for the seniors like uh, Albert Young and Damian Sims who have really, really worked hard to get the Hawks to where they're at and to help turn this thing around. So I'm looking forward to it and hope that uh, the Hawks can pull this out against Northwestern. That was brilliant! HawkeyesMike.com, something new. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We want to welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. Certainly, Marv, this is one of the most exciting games at Kinnick in quite some time. Yeah, it definitely was. It was a tale of two halves, obviously. I mean, the first half, it looked like a lot more of the same than what we've been seeing all season long, and uh, it was... You know, I think it was a turning point. I think it was it's a testament to what Kirk and his staff have done, Coach France and his staff have done. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what we'd always talk about, just keep doing what you've been doing. If you're doing the right thing and you have the right template in place, eventually it'll start working. And I really thought that's what we saw in the second half is uh, the offense started to, to really get its feet underneath it, get the running game going. The uh, Albert Young run for a touchdown he didn't even get touched on was about as textbook as you can get. And then, uh, you know, the defense did what they did and played with emotion and, and effort and uh, was able to shut out Michigan State in the second half. Pretty it does feel like we're on a bit of a roller coaster here. The Illinois win, the Purdue loss, now the Michigan State win. Was this game a fooler, or in the third quarter, do you think Iowa finally has turned the corner? I, I, that's the way I look at it. I look at it as, as they've come of age. I mean, this is a group that now they've got, you know, seven, eight games under their belt. 
a lot of these young guys are now starting to get some experience and starting to see how it's all supposed to work and, and they're probably playing now where they were thinking too much before and now they're actually just letting their body kind of do what they've been doing the last seven, eight weeks and uh, execution starting to be a lot better and a lot sharper and a lot crisper and, and uh, like I said, it's a testament to the Iowa staff that they've been able to just kind of continue to work through this and you know, one of the, one of the signs of a young team is, is that you have ups and downs and you have ebbs and flows. Coach Ferentz has always been great about trying to keep everything under containment as far as emotions, but yet when you have young players, that's obviously something that's going to be the, the case. And, and uh, if you get too on too much of an emotional roller coaster ride, you're going to have some letdowns. And I think that's what we've seen early in the season. But hopefully they'll start developing more and more confidence in what they've been doing and have a lot more success. How much credit do you uh, give the coaches for that turnaround? I, I think a lot. I mean, I think it's a lot when you have young players who, like I said, can get caught up in the emotion of reading the newspapers or caught up in the emotion of the fans and all that stuff and, and the positive and negative side. I mean, it's a lot of it has to do with what the coaches are teaching each and every day. The coaches have pretty good access to these players and, and can really make a big difference. And then it's just, it's the technique, it's the way you teach it, the progression that you teach it in practice that if you're doing it right on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, then you're going to have a good chance to do it right on Saturday. And if you can just keep pounding away at that and the fundamentals, the fundamentals, then eventually they'll start getting it. Do you think Kirk's tirade at the officials at the end of the first half had anything to do with it? I know some of the players commented on that. Well, I think it just it's, it's, it shows that there's a passion there. It shows that there's a, a, an emotion. You know, I, I, you don't want to think that that's what it is, but I mean, like, like I said, I think someone probably made an impassioned speech at halftime, whether it was Coach Ferentz or another staff member or a player, uh, but a lot of the players seemed pretty emotional after the game and it seemed like it was a great, great win for them. So, you know, as a player, you always appreciate when your coach is going to bat for you. So, uh, but whether that, that led to the third quarter turnaround, I don't know. But I mean, it was, uh, I mean, obviously an, uh, an emotional effort that they gave in the third and fourth quarters. Kind of a similar question from the Michigan State perspective. The Spartans came out in the first half, read an incredibly efficient and effective offense. They racked up huge stats. They dominated possession time. What's your view of, of their performance in that half? And then what happened to them in the third quarter? It seemed like they did get a little bit away from what they were doing and having success. I thought the quarterback was incredible, uh, had a great arm, uh, was making some good throws. Uh, but I mean, to, obviously to Iowa's credit, I mean, they must have made some adjustments and taken some things away, but uh, put Michigan State in some uncomfortable circumstances and, and was able to shut them out in the second half, like I said. So I mean, it was uh, uh, part of it too was Iowa's doing a better job controlling the ball, keeping Michigan State off the field so when they did get back on the field they didn't have their rhythm and timing down. So it, it was, it's, that's one of the good things about having a good offense is it keeps the other offenses off the field. It almost seemed like Albert was willing this team to victory given the circumstances. Do you think this was his best performance as a Hawk? It'd have to be up there. I mean, it'd have to be right up on top. I mean, it's big numbers uh, from a stat standpoint. At times I thought he could have ran a little bit harder, you know, just tucking it down and getting you know, three yards versus two yards. But uh, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, this, this guy is, is is the running game for Iowa between him and Sims. And, and uh, I mean, I just love the way the guy plays. I think he's a complete back, catching, running, blocking. But yeah, I mean, he's this has got to be one of the top two or three games that he's played at the University of Iowa. By all reports, Young got into the faces of the offensive linemen at halftime, maybe on the field a time or two. That appeared to have some significant effect. Do you think that'll stick with him going forward? Hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's a it's a situation where you know they all realize we're in the same thing together. We got to row together, and you know Albert Young's only as good as his supporting cast, and and the offensive line's only as good as the running back behind him, and so they are all pulling the same same direction. And uh, 
You know, I mean, I just think that that's, if this team has lacked anything, it's probably been leadership. It's probably been someone to stand up and take the reins and say, you know, this is what we need to do. You know, we need to do it for ourselves, if not for anybody else. You know, I think Albert Young was probably telling the guys that. It's great to enjoy this game, but boy, you still had to be troubled by the performance of quarterback Jake Christensen. He had another poor game, only had three completions in regulation up until the two overtimes. Uh, really bad passing stats. We didn't have any passing yards for a long time, so I guess I never really thought of it. I mean, I just I saw the win and the, and the way that they played in the, in the third quarter. And, you know, we've talked about it numerous times that this is a team that's built around running the football, and if you run the football effectively, you got a chance, and that's what they did. The best friend of a quarterback is a good running game because you can have horrendous statistics and still get a, a W. What did you think of Kirk's decision late in the fourth quarter with the ball on the Michigan State 25-yard line, fourth down about 18 inches, to try to kick the field goal instead of going for it and sort of icing the game? That's tough. That's a, that's a hard one because um, you know Michigan State it had a lot of success moving the football on a six-point lead versus a three-point lead means they have to score a touchdown versus scoring a field goal. So that's a hard one. You know, it's easy to get down to the 30-yard line and have a chance to kick a field goal, but it's hard to punch it in, especially against our defense. So I mean, I, I'm probably okay with that call as far as. Um, Kicker's actually doing a nice job for him right now at Iowa. And, um, you know, a six-point lead, like I said, makes the other team have to score a touchdown versus just being able to go down and kick a field goal. So, I mean, that's probably probably a good choice. You know, I mean, the running game was working effectively, but if you look at the collective body of their work over the last eight, nine games, I don't know how comfortable you are. You know, I mean, I think we actually had a situation where we tried to get a quarterback sneak and jumped off sides. There were some issues there as well. I thought Bradley Fletcher, after Shada was injured, came in and really played a nice game. Two different players, really, but Fletcher was pretty effective Saturday. That's where you have different talent. You have different skills for different corners, and uh, you play to your strengths. I mean, one of the things you want to do is you want to play to your strengths and hide your weaknesses, and I think Adam Shada brings a different set of strengths and weaknesses to the table than a Fletcher does, and to the Iowa's credit, the catch coach at Iowa, I think they were able to adjust to what personnel they have on the field and make those changes and, and a lot of that's based on what Michigan State has out there as well so you want to make sure that you know you're not pressing a guy if he's their best you know vertical receiver so I mean you got to be smart about that but I thought the adjustments were good I thought they were sound and uh, you know they did a great job on on uh, third down. Another stark difference in this game, and you could really see it beginning to evolve the last couple of weeks. Norm Parker shuffled a lot of people back and forth continuously in the defensive side, and it, it left them much fresher, and they really appeared a lot more aggressive uh, later in the game, especially with the younger players out there. Well, I think they're hungry. I mean, obviously those guys haven't seen the field much, so I mean, they're hungry when they get out there. It is good to see you know freshman players making plays for the defense, and, and that's where you have to weigh it off. You have to make that decision whether your, your second string guy at 100% is as good is your first string guy at 90% or 85%. And I think they're, what they're starting to find is some of these second, third string guys are actually pretty good football players. So they're able to get them in the mix, get them in the rotation and feel pretty comfortable about it. I mean, one of the things you don't want to do is stick a freshman there just because he's fresh and healthy if he doesn't know what he's doing. So you got to make sure that they're up to speed from the uh, scheme standpoint. So I think they're starting to feel more and more comfortable with these younger guys. And what that does is keeps everybody fresh when they are on the field. Do you think at this point, Norm's changed his approach or he's to the point where he's trusting these guys a little more? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, combination of both things. I think Coach Parker has made some adjustments with the nickel and dime package. Uh, and that's probably a lot of that, a lot of has to do with the personnel. He's feeling more comfortable with the personnel he has and, and the defensive backs that he has. So, you know, a lot of these young players, if you're thinking about things out there, and especially at this level, you got problems. You want to be reacting. You want to see it and know exactly what I need to do when the ball snaps instead of having to worry, well, am I supposed to have the quarter? Or am I supposed to have the flat? You know, so, you know, you got to make sure those guys are up to speed. And I think they're, they're getting more and more comfortable with that right now.
Iowa has been up and down game to game, but they were really up and down in this game. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, they struggled a little bit. Again, the offense ran some series that were a little puzzling, both in terms of play calling and execution. First half, the big funk, great third quarter, kind of a mediocre fourth quarter, great overtimes. How do you explain that? Part of it is Michigan State. I mean, you got to give them credit for making the adjustments. They're, you know, Iowa came on the third quarter with their adjustments at halftime and were able to have some effective drives. Well, what those defensive coaches are doing when they're on the sideline is they're talking to their players about what adjustments they're making to what Iowa's doing. So it becomes a chess match, and I think, you know, you have to credit the other team for playing sometimes, and, and uh, Michigan State was making some adjustments to what we were doing, and obviously those are, those are effective as well. But, you know, when it came crunch time, when it came time to move the ball, you know, in the overtime series, I thought we were pretty solid with that. I thought it was, I thought it looked pretty easy for Iowa to get the touchdowns in the overtime periods where I thought it looked really, really difficult for Michigan State. Were you a little bit surprised Kirk didn't call a timeout just prior to Michigan State's attempt to kick that tying field goal near the end of regulation? You know, it, it goes both ways. I mean, um, it's to the point now where a lot of coaches have been waiting until the last second and calling them. And the kickers kind of get used to that mentality where it actually could be the, the, the best thing to do would not be to call it because the kicker's thinking, well, he's going to call it, and so he's not really into his routine as much as he normally would be. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the ball snapped, he's got to go kick it. So it's 51 way, half dozen the other, you know. So I mean, it's, uh, you know, that's just one of those deals where some coaches have been using it, others haven't. I saw an NFL game where the one coach said that he would definitely not do it that way, and then yet when the game the next night the game was on the line that's exactly what he did he called the timeout right before the kicker kicked it. Pretty good special teams play last Saturday especially kicking. I thought it was huge I thought the punting game really helped win the battle of field position a lot of different times obviously anytime you get points in the red zone is big and, and uh, Daniel Murray did a nice job with his field goals when called upon it except with the exception of the one but you know points are big in the Big Ten and uh, to me what it really looked like it was a big turning point I mean the halftime I, I, I thought at halftime this could be a team that might not win another game I mean the way they played the first half I thought, I, I thought they didn't look very good the first half but then the second half I thought they looked really really good so I, mean, I thought maybe that they got the traction and, and like I said it's, a, it's a, ultimately it's a testament to coach Ferentz and what they're doing because it is a young team and they have been decimated by injuries and they're able to beat a good solid Michigan State team that's got some good athletes and now you look at the roster and the schedule and you say well we can win the table you know I think it was a turning point from that standpoint at halftime I'd have said well we could lose every single game from here on out but now I can sit here and honestly say well we can win every single game from here on out because of the way we played in the second half so you know that's that's a lot to be building on. Northwestern runs another very potent version of the spread offense what do you expect to see from the Iowa defense this week? Uh, more the same I expect the defense to do their job I mean Northwestern's a team I think that probably want to spread you out to run it. And, uh, you know, I think that's the one thing that Iowa's done effectively is stop the run. They did a nice job against Illinois in that regard. And if they can make them one-dimensional and want to make Northwestern pass all the time, I like our chances. So uh, I expect more of the same out of our defense, the way they've been playing. I think they'll continue to play well and, and cause uh, Northwestern uh, off problems. But the key is going to be our offense. I mean, whether we can keep Northwestern's offense off the field by having sustained drive, by churning it out, by getting first downs, by controlling the ball, uh, not turning it over. And if our offense can do that, I think we've got a great chance to look pretty good and, and uh, to win solidly to be honest with you so you know that's that's going to be the key and a lot of these guys are Illinois kids so they'll be going home and wanting to play well back in the state of Illinois so I'd, I'd expect uh, a good effort. And looking around the, the Big Ten and the country and, and the NFL for that matter Iowa appears to be in the minority with its offensive coordinator on the field instead of upstairs how do you think that impacts 
quarterback's play calling. Yeah, a lot of that's just dependent on, on who's up in the booth and what kind of communications he's getting. If he's getting the communication that he needs, then it's not a factor. Uh, the one thing that it does allow him to do is be on the field and get the emotion and, and look, in the, look in the eyes of his quarterbacks and know what's going on. So it is, it is the minority uh, from that standpoint. But if he's getting the information that he needs from the booth, if he's getting coverage, his techniques, if corners are playing inside, outside, if they're you know they're bumping and you know press press bail that type of thing, if he's getting the information he needs, then he's fine. So it's just a, it's a matter of uh, you know how that communication system works. So. Sort of following up on our questions the last couple of weeks as a player, what does a win like this do for you? I think it reaffirms that they're doing the right thing. I mean, this is a big win for them, and obviously seeing the crowd react the way they did again is going to be a, they'll be able to feed off that as well. And realize that everybody is still on board and, and still part of this thing and appreciative of their efforts. So, I mean, I, I think it's from, from that standpoint, it was a huge win. The other thing that it tells them is they can play poorly at times and still win, which is good too, because, you know, now before, you, if you played poorly, you thought, well, I don't have a chance to win. Now I think they know they can turn it around. They can go from having a bad half to having a great game. And, and so from that standpoint, there's a lot of great learning things that they can take away from it. Given the seesaw nature of the past few weeks, what can the Hawks do to avoid a letdown at Northwestern? Continue what they've been doing, honestly. I mean, I mean that sounds that sounds like a cliche, but I mean I think that is the template that Iowa has in place. That you know whether they're one and ten or ten and one, their Monday practice is going to be the same Monday practice they've been doing for the last seven years, and and they're going to have the, you know an up tempo practice. You know, you know we call it like a heavy thud type of thing where you're getting after it, trying to get better. And uh, I mean I think that's the mentality that they have, and they always will have. And and uh, that's the key is is that helps el eliminate a lot of the roller coaster from going from too high to too low. Is just when you get back into that normal routine on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you just realize, okay, I'm back in it. So got a new game this week and you know you enjoy the win for 24 hours and then it's back to work and that's kind of the, the thought process I think Iowa football has right now. Another call then coming up award-winning Iowa City press citizen sports reporter and columnist Pat Hardy. Hey what's up it's Zach from Iowa City just wanted to call in and talk about some things that I thought were nice. Uh, first of all nice game last week it was, it was great to get a win and especially an exciting one like that uh, that was just what the Hawkeyes fans needed right now because, you know, it was, it was depressing. It was depressing because it seemed like everyone was giving up on the season and now uh, we've got hope for the future at least. Uh, what turned last week's game around was definitely halftime. I think something must have happened at halftime. Either the coaching staff realized that uh, they'd been taking their best player out of the game and Albert Young, and I guess I should say best player offensively. I like seeing him put the, hands, or put the ball in his hands and finally just get your best player the ball and let him do what he does. It was good to see them have faith in him. It was good to see him finishing runs and running with running with a little motivation. It was uh, good to see him just explode on them like that. Definitely a good and exciting game to watch. I really like seeing that they didn't fold. You know, down 17 to three at the half, it would would have been just as easy to come back out of that tunnel and just get blown out like they have in weeks past, but didn't happen this time. I wouldn't really consider this to be a turning point in the season, though. I mean, it seems like every single time we get teased with a huge game like this, namely Illinois, they come out ridiculously flat the next. I would I would expect a win against Northwestern. Not going to be a pretty win, I don't think, but they'll probably go in there and get it. Looking forward to the game this weekend and go hot. All party guys, great plan. Well, Iowa dominated in the first half by Michigan State, but the tables have turned here in the second half. It totally dominated in the second half by Iowa defensively. They gave up 252 yards in the first half, but only 61 in the second half of this ball game. And you talk about turning it around. They have done it defensively.
Welcome back, Pat Hardy. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. Pat, it was a terrific game at Kinnick. Certainly very exciting. Well, it's amazing what happens when you can run the ball. I think that was obviously the key to it. And I think the, what's nice is they fell behind, but they didn't panic and abandon the running game. They stuck with it, and it was just nice to see Iowa play some power football. Now we're back on the roller coaster. The Illinois win, the Purdue loss, now Michigan State in double overtime. I think it's still too early to say because personally I don't think they're going to win Saturday. I think I think what you see is who they are. They're inconsistent because they're an average team, but I think on some days an average team can rise up at home and play well. I think that's what happened to them, but I, I see this team going 6-6 six and six now. I mean, I see them winning their last two games because let's face it, this remaining schedule is very favorable, but they just, Northwestern's had their number even when they've had better teams, and Northwestern's probably going to score at least 25 to 30 points, and I can't see Iowa doing that on the road, but I think what you're seeing, the inconsistency, is just what this team's all about. Given that start turnaround at the half, how much of that do you think was the offensive players just digging down and finally deciding to step up their performance versus the coaching? I think a little of both. I think the coaches stuck with the game plan even after falling behind, and I think the offensive linemen finally, after falling behind, began to assert themselves. Albert ran very hard, but he also had some nice holes to run through, and I think it's easier to run hard once you get a hole and you see some see somewhere to go and what have you. You don't have to hesitate. I just think the players just took it upon themselves more so than the coaching. You had a pretty good view of Kirk's tirade at the officials at the end of the first half. It certainly got the crowd going. Some of the players alluded to it. Do you think that had anything to do with the game? I don't think it hurt. I think some of the players may have motivated gotten motivated from it. We don't know what Kirk said at halftime, so I don't know. I don't. I think it may, but like Mitch King said, he wasn't even aware of what was going on. I think the players just got in there at halftime and they realized if they lost this game, this season would be going completely down the tube. And I think the, to give too much credit to that tirade would take away what the players accomplished. So I don't think it did. We focused a lot on Iowa's turnaround at the half. What happened to Michigan State? I mean, from their perspective, they really dominated everything in the first half and then came out in the third quarter and Iowa really took it to them. It just looked like Iowa got more physical and started winning the battle on the line of scrimmage. And sometimes you can only coach so much. At some point, it becomes a game between 300-pound guys blocking up front. And I think in the first half, Michigan State dictated that. In the second half, I think Iowa dictated the line of scrimmage. And I keep harping on this, but I think the fact that Iowa stuck with the running game, I think eventually they started wearing them down. If you notice, Albert had 36 some yards at halftime he had 150 in the second half almost I think that was the key more than anything and I think Michigan State maybe got a little tentative on offense a little lax there after a while it seems like they kind of abandoned their running game and I'm not sure why they did that but I just think it's one of those things where Michigan State is maybe a little better than Iowa right now overall but I think it was two even teams and I think the home field advantage proved big and I think Michigan State showed just like Iowa does that it's vulnerable on the road. Albert Young turned in a terrific performance and it really seemed like he was just willing the Hawks to victory Saturday. You think this was his best? Well, I know he had over 200 yards in a game, but I think this is his best performance given the circumstances. They absolutely had to win this game. It's a young offensive line. There's no passing attack. The quarterback couldn't complete a pass of his life dependent on it Saturday. And I think under those circumstances, yeah, maybe it was Albert's best game. At one point in the game, and apparently also at halftime, Albert really got into the faces of the offensive linemen. Whatever he said, it sure appeared to have some effect. If he did, that obviously had some type of effect. It can't hurt if he said it the right way. I mean, if he if he gave them constructive criticism and tried to encourage them, and obviously it looks like he did because whatever he may have said or whatever happened at halftime, something obviously worked because the offensive line started blocking like I hadn't seen him block for a while, better than they did against Illinois. And this was not a horrible Michigan State team. So yeah, maybe Albert did. Maybe whatever he said did have some kind of effect. 
Jake continued to struggle, same problems as we've seen. Horrible offensive stats, really, from a passing point of view. Just makes me wonder how bad the backups are because, I mean, I've been trying to stick with Jake because the circumstances have been rough this year with the lack of protection, what have you, but he was just horrible Saturday. I mean, he missed open receivers. He just panicked at times where, I think there was a couple times where he could have hit Brandon Myers had he just stayed in the pocket a little more, and he, and he cannot throw a screen pass. So right now, I trust the coaches that he's the best they have, but I think that's kind of discouraging because I'm not sure what that says about his backups because Jake to me they won in spite of him Saturday. Any comments on Kirk's decision late in the game late in the fourth quarter the ball on the Michigan State 25 fourth in about 18 inches he made that field goal attempt without even a hesitation instead of trying to go for it and ice the game. No I really didn't but in hindsight, hindsight's 2020 I think at the time I was like you know you got some momentum going why not try to just ram this down their throat you're at home you're running the ball well I thought it was kind of a conservative move but it's hard to question something like that when they come back and win I know he did missed that field goal, if I'm not mistaken, too. It went wide, wide to the left. No, I would have gone for it, but it's hard to argue with the end result. I thought Fletcher came in and really turned in a nice performance uh, after Shada was injured. Well, I thought Fletcher is more physical. He's bigger. I think Shada might be a little better defending the pass. I think Fletcher was a lot better defending the run, which is huge against Michigan State with the way Javon Ringer and that Cole Crick run. But yeah, I think Fletcher was more physical. I don't really think there's a big drop-off. I think obviously Shada's got the advantage because he's a year ahead of him. And he's been ahead of him all this time. But it wouldn't surprise me if Fletcher starts getting more playing time because I thought he was more physical. I thought he brought a more aggressive physical nature to that position. Finally, we saw Norm Parker shuffle a lot of fresh bodies in and out of the defensive line, linebackers, defensive ends. I've been wondering about that all year. I wrote, I think in the Iowa State game, I wish they would have substituted more, but maybe those guys weren't ready. It's obvious they feel those guys are ready now, and I think the fact that Claiborne and Christian Ballard and Jeremiah Hunter and Cody Coleman all played a lot, those guys were fresh, and you could tell with the tackles. I mean, Drew Gardner, the guy who made the game-winning tackle, he hadn't played hardly at all. He was very fresh tackling a guy who had to be exhausted. Devin Thomas had been in there the whole game. That's why I like it when they substitute, because I think if you're in a game close at the end, then if you have fresh bodies, that's a huge advantage. You think this is pretty much a matter of Norm just trusting these guys more at this point in the season? I think it's trust. I don't think he's going to change. I think he's trusting these guys more. He's seeing more in practice, and I think he's just willing to take some chances with them now. Finally, Saturday, we saw flashes almost for the first time this year of the next man in philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I, you saw freshmen. I mean, redshirt and true freshmen. I think the situation looks okay on defense. I, I like their situation at linebacker. They're going to miss Hump, and they're going to miss Clinkenboard, but I think they've got some good athletes there. It's nice when you can have success in the present, but also build for the future at the same time, which they did Saturday. They they won the game, which was huge, but they also had guys in here whose experiences from Saturday will benefit them in the long run. What do you think of the seesaw nature of the game itself? Miserable first half, terrific third quarter, kind of a mediocre fourth quarter, and then very good play in the overtimes by the Hawks. Sometimes I think when they get ahead, sometimes they just play the clock, play not to lose, play not to make mistakes, and what have you. They get a little conservative, and I think maybe that's what happened. And I think there was just a couple series there where Michigan State played well against the run. And, you know, you're not going to be able to run the ball every series, and I think that's what happened. Michigan State toughened up a little bit in the fourth quarter and made it hard to run on. And when Iowa can't throw the ball, that was the only option they really had. So, I don't know. I don't think it was anything really too much other than just the ebbs and flows of a game. Were you surprised Kirk didn't call a timeout at the end of the game there to try to ice Michigan State's kicker? Maybe a little bit, but I think it was such a short, it wasn't that long of a field goal. I'm guessing he's thinking it probably wouldn't have had much effect. What was it, like a 30? I mean, it wasn't a real long field 
goal. So I think if you're getting out there in the 40 and 50 yard, then you can start playing mind games. I Maybe a little surprised, but not terribly surprised, no. We finally saw a really good special teams play last Saturday and, and excellent punting, good kicking. Very important for this win. Well, Ryan Donnie, who's the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. We, I mean, he was USA Today first team high school All-American punter for a reason. And we're finally starting to see that I think he just needed to keep practicing under game time situations where he's finally, I don't think nerves are a factor. He had one pump that kind of went off the side of his foot, but it still went 34 yards instead of 14. I think by the time he's done here, he's going to be a force. We go into Evanston Saturday facing yet another potent version of the spread offense, and Northwestern's really given Iowa a lot of troubles the last couple of years. What do you expect to see from the defense this week? Well, that's a good question, because the one thing that separates Northwestern even from Indiana and Purdue when they play against Iowa, Northwestern's had much better success running the ball. Tyrell Sutton ran up and down the field against Iowa last year, and that was the game where, to me, Iowa just looked dead. I think Iowa's going to have to score at least three touchdowns to win this game, because I think Northwestern's going to spread them out. Northwestern's not only a very explosive team, they're very disciplined. They don't make a lot of mistakes. So I think Iowa's going to have to play a close to perfect game on defense and then offense they're going to have to overachieve for to win this game. How important will it be for the offense to stay on the field and accumulate possession time? Oh, if they can, the key to Northwestern game will be able to run the football. If they can run the football and keep that offense off the field, I think Iowa's got a very good chance of winning. Ask you a question that we asked Marv earlier. When you look around the country, around the Big Ten, uh, Iowa does appear to be in the minority with its offensive coordinator on the field. You tend to see more defensive coordinators on the field than offensive coordinators. Any sense of how that may impact the Hawks? Play calling, planning by Ken O'Keefe? I don't think that has, just my opinion, I don't think it's anything. I, I really don't. I think when, I remember when they were winning big, everyone thought it was great that O'Keefe was down on the field with the players right there in the heat of the battle and what have you. I think there's too much read into that. I think a coach will do what he feels most comfortable with and if he feels most comfortable with it, I think that's what's gonna be the best thing. So now I don't really buy into that. After this game, we'll again ask you your weekly assessment of the team's overall development and performance. Well, they're getting better. You can finally see it but I still say with this team it could be two steps forward one step back like I said right now my gut feeling is they'll lose Saturday win the last two games go six and six you get six and six out of this team with as bad as things were and that's not bad but I still say they have to address this passing issue I think they have to address the quarterback issue because to me Jake has not hurt them in a lot of ways he's only throwing two interceptions but he just doesn't seem to be getting any better we talked about it earlier here but your keys to the Northwestern game run the ball run the ball keep their offense off the field score early play well on special teams don't turn the ball over and run the ball. Those are the things. I want to diverge for a moment. As a sports columnist, you have to put your thoughts and opinions out there on a regular basis for the whole world to read. And then you get a lot of criticism if they don't like what you're writing. How do you feel when fans start taking pot shots at you and when one of the coaches, like Ferentz, singles you out for criticism? Especially in Kirk's case, when you pretty much relied on facts and statistics to back up your comments. Yeah, I mean, Kirk was basically trying to protect his player, but I still stand by what I wrote because I actually question the coaching staff more than I did Dan Doring because I mean there were a lot of people wondering why a five-star recruit wasn't playing behind was playing behind two redshirt freshman walk-ons from Iowa that's all I brought up as far as the fans and stuff I really don't care I mean I with the message boards I'm not a big message board person I mean one thing in this age of the internet everyone has an opinion what always blows me away is people supposedly these people will write me and they say they hate what I write but they not only take the time to read it time and time again but then they take the time to respond so I just if they hate it so bad why are they wasting their time I mean I just don't message boards and stuff have never really been much of a factor for me. Any other thoughts? No, it's just kind of fun coming off a of victory. They've won two out of their last three games now.
Hey, Sean. I was at the game this weekend. Pretty exciting. Good to see some life in the team, especially from some younger guys that are in the future. As far as being a turning point, I don't really know. It seems kind of inconsistent, but win's a win. Something that's been on my mind a little bit has been, yeah, Jake Christensen, bad point, thank you, he misses open receivers, blah, 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 blah. Same old. But it just seems like there's a lot less turnovers. He's not throwing interceptions. So I like to see that. Missing receivers, I think that can be fixed a lot faster than credit through throwing interceptions. I like seeing them all overthrown instead of intercepted. Good win. I'm excited to see the defense play against Northwestern, see if we can finally shut down the pass. Not, I guess we're just back at square one. If we do, it'll be exciting. That's it, I'm out of here. It's here. Hawkeye's Mike is for Iowa fans by Iowa fans. It's Hawk Sports Talk Radio on the internet. Your chance as a Hawkeye fan to make your voice heard on men's and women's sports. Weekly on HawkeyesMike.com. Just a reminder that following every football game this fall, questions will be posted on HawkeyesMike.com. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. To get your comments included in next week's show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcast should be available for listening or downloading on Wednesday evenings. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS to make your voice heard. Looking ahead to the Northwestern game this Saturday, I know this sounds like a broken record, but once again, it will be another very difficult game for the Hawks. Iowa now sits at 4-5 overall, 2-4 in the Big Ten, while Northwestern is 5-4 and 2-3 and and in the Big Ten. Plus, Northwestern this Saturday will be playing to make themselves bowl eligible. Last year in Iowa City, Northwestern totally dominated the Hawks, winning 21-7. And the year before that in Evanston, Iowa led that game for 58 minutes and then collapsed in the last two, with Northwestern taking the victory in the final seconds. Iowa faces the Northwestern team that has given them fits for the last two years, that runs a very explosive version of the spread offense, which the Hawks often have trouble defensing, especially when Iowa's offense doesn't do well. Northwestern is most effective when it has good pass protection, and the Wildcats have struggled when their offensive line breaks down. They have a pretty good quarterback in C.J. Bechet and a very good running back in Tyrell Sutton, who played his first game last Saturday after a five-week layoff due to injury. The Wildcats have generally been effective at both passing and running, but their defense have struggled and currently ranks 10th in the Big Ten, especially having problems stopping the run. You have to believe Ken O'Keefe will have a game plan focusing on establishing the run and racking up possession time, keeping the Wildcats offense on the sidelines. But Iowa's passing game is going to have to improve and Jake Christensen needs to get better at his fundamentals. We're late into the season and the inexperience excuse is beginning to wear pretty thin. You would hope this might be a game where Christensen can make a big step forward, especially playing back in his home state. I think Iowa has a chance in this game if the offense shows up strong because we're probably going to have to rack up at least 21 points to come out with a victory. And this time, I would truly be shocked if there's a regression like what happened in the Purdue game. But with this team, you're never going to be sure until the game is over. If Iowa can win a Northwestern, it has a good chance to go 7-5 and five and get a decent bowl invitation. If not, given the new bowl rules, 6-6 six and six might not get it done in 2007.
Well, I think this is just a result of Kirk Ferentz coaching his football team back into this football game. He made some adjustments at halftime, and I think that's where you become, you, you are defined as a good football coach with the adjustments that you make at halftime. They forced Brian Hoyer. They weren't going to give anything up deep. Forced him to come short to Devin Thomas, and maybe he breaks a tackle. Maybe he doesn't. They come up, they rally to the football, but they're not going to give anything up deep. You see the deep drops here? Not going to allow anybody behind that secondary unit. And they come up, make some tackles as a team. That man right there deserves a lot of credit for what he did in the locker room at halftime. Final score in double overtime. Iowa beats Michigan State 34-27. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for those game highlights. Dave Posh and Andre Ware do a nice job. ESPN2 is once again doing the Iowa Northwestern game this weekend. Unfortunately, we'll be stuck with Pam Ward doing the play-by-play. Also, thanks again to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, and, of course, to our callers. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard. 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. We encourage new callers, phone into Hawkeyes Mike, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the podcast, and invite your friends and family to listen too. It's going to be all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of HawkeyesMike.com and Enlightened Vision, LLC.